Welcome to this message from Life Assembly, a thriving church in the northwest suburbs of Minneapolis. Please visit us online at lifemn.org for more information. And now join us as we pursue Jesus together. So today we get to hear from a missionary that has been proven, who has been on the field and given both of you, you've given your, your families and, and lives to the Lord. And uh, we as a church have been behind you, as a lot of Minnesota churches have, and there's bared amazing fruit from your ministry. And I just want to point us to um, 2 Corinthians 3, 3. Let me just kind of move this. Sorry, our screen went out over here. We'll figure it out by next week. Is it up? Did you get that one? 2 Corinthians 3, 3. So as a church, as um, part of what we do is we support missionaries. It's part of our calling. It's a part of what every church is supposed to do is to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ as far-reaching as we possibly can. And part of doing that is supporting missionaries. We added one, as you guys know, we had uh, some Chi Alpha students who we've got four community colleges in our area. And churches among us said, we're going to do something about that and put Chi Alpha missionaries here. But right now, today, we get to celebrate with people who have been in Central Latin America and all over the place, and their reach is so vast. But in 2 Corinthians 3, 3, it talks about we are written letters. And when you, when you read the Gospels, especially the New Testament Gospels, you see Paul writing this gracious letter to the churches. And when he does it, he writes a physical letter, but he also talks about, in 2 Corinthians 3, 3, that we ourselves are letters of Jesus Christ. We have been written on with our lives, and people see the written letter in the flesh. Today, this morning, we get to hear letter, a letter from missionaries that we have been a part of their journey. And we get to partake in this letter. So today, this morning, when we hear about what God is doing in Mike and Mona Shields' life and in their ministries and in their ministry, I want you to think about, I am reading a letter right now of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you please put your hands together and let's welcome. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, we got a video first, right? Let's go ahead and uh, start the video. We're also the directors of the Advanced Latin American School of Theology, which has classes in 18 countries all over Latin America. With over 7,000 students that have studied with us throughout the last 50 years in all of Latin America. From Mexico through Central America, the Andean region, all the way down to the tip of Chile and Argentina. Our ministry takes us to 8, 10, 12 countries a year, ministering in camps and conventions and seminars and in retreats and in special outreaches in the local church. Our passion has been working with young people and now we get to train the new generation of pastors in all these countries. We work in the great cities of Latin America, but we also go into the little places, in the small places, towns and cities that you can't even pronounce because there are people there. We train them, we teach them, we mentor them. We have a conviction that when people have a deep and passionate sense of repentance. The Holy Spirit unlocks in them the vast human potential 
so that they can reach out and do things you could not even imagine, no matter their economic circumstances, their social circumstances, their governmental circumstances. We have seen hundreds of people with transformational testimonies of the power of God that unlocks the secret in them to become what they could never be without the touch of God in their lives. Recently, we were in central El Salvador in Sonsonate preaching for a regional youth camp. There were 1,200 students and leaders. Hardly a family in that camp has not experienced a death in the family, a murder, a kidnapping, brutal beatings, extortions. And the Spirit of God dropped in that place as we reached our hands out and prayed with them at the altars and taught them in the seminars and in the workshops during the day and heard their stories and hugged them and cried with them. That is what God has laid in our hearts to do, and it's people like you that partner with us that make it possible to do this. Thank you so much. We couldn't do it without your help. We count on you, we love you, we appreciate you, and we value. We are your hands extended. All right, what do you think of that? Wasn't that exciting? Praise the Lord. It's great to come back. We've been here several times over the years. It's been a stretch. We're here about six years ago, I believe. Uh, no, four years ago we were here. How many are here when I was here four years ago? It was four years ago. Raise your hand. Okay, four. Okay, great. No. <laughs> and uh, since that time, we've continued to travel heavily. We normally travel eight, 10, 12 countries. Here in 2019, we were in 12 countries. This year, we've been in three up until March, and then, and then welcome back. And so uh, coronavirus changed it, but we have continued. Monterey is the first woman director of the largest in-classroom ministerial training program across the entire evangelical world. This is called the Latin American School of Theology, and we have hundreds and hundreds of students that come online and starting again in November, we'll both be teaching. We go on Zoom. We've transformed our entire institution into that. We've had students that come from as many as 10 countries that log on simultaneously. Monterey's the director. Give the Lord a great big hand. Praise the Lord. It's exciting to be in the house of the Lord on Sunday. Amen. I'm just, there's nothing compared. We've watched for months online, but to be able to be here and Raise your hands and, and worship together. There's something really special. I love your logo, L-A. That means Latin America. <laughs> I was like, yes, we're connected with you guys. When you think of Life Assembly, think of Latin America. And we minister from Mexico all the way down to the southern tip of Argentina. And it's, we were in Cuba, we were in Bolivia, we were in Mexico preaching and ministering this year. And like Mike said, all of a sudden, the breaks went on, and we were stuck at home and started having Zoom conferences and Zoom meetings, and we decided that we weren't going to stop our in-training pastoral classes. After pastors finish Bible school, they go on, they're in the ministry, and many times they say, I need more. I need more training. I need, I need to actualize my credentials and my my understanding of communications and of missions and of administration. Mike teaches administration. I've been teaching four months straight of Leviticus. Wow, you talk about exciting. I have my, my um, peluches, what do you call them? Stuffed animals. 
I have my stuff. I have a bull and I have a cow and I show the sacrifices. And, and <laughs> but you, all of a sudden you have to go creative in a completely different way. I don't know how many teachers are here, but boy, has this been a challenge. I was just doing the numbers and we've had almost a thousand pastors online since June. So the Lord, our classes have exploded. We have people in our classes that are Latin missionaries in Nepal, in Ukraine, in Croatia, in Spain, that have said, we can't study, we're stuck at home, we can't fit a month of classes into our training when we go home to itinerate. So they're logging on and they are studying with us from all over the world because you make it possible to connect not only throughout Latin America, but all over the world where we've trained pastors and now they're missionaries and they're reaching people that we could never, ever get to. So thank you. Like I said in the video, you are our hands extended. And it's so fun to be back here with you. God bless you, prosper you, and go strong. Oh, I forgot. We have our latest newsletter is in the back. And it shows the places that we were until we started, you know, with COVID. And pick up one of our cards. Put it in your Bible. Put it on your fridge. Put it on your TV clicker. Whichever one you open the most often. Bless you. And uh, don't, don't forget, uh, Pastor Dale, it's 25% off at Walmart, too. So I just wanted to... <laughs> uh, I do want us to pray, especially for Mexico and Peru. They've had incredibly... Uh, difficult outbreaks of COVID-19. We've had over 200 of our AG pastors have passed away since March of this year. You don't hear that on the news. One of our students, a lady Christian education director in Tlaxca, Mexico, was on staff with her father, mother, and her three brothers, who all died of COVID between July and August. She's the only one that survived, and now she's become the pastor of that beautiful church. They're in a state of terror. But we know that God is going to get the glory out of this. How many say amen to that? So I ask you today to be in prayer with us about that, that God, we, that we got an urgent request for, to buy an oxygenator and tanks for Lima, Peru. And so we sent $1,500 down to buy oxygen tanks. I know that's not exactly missions, but it saved the lives of several pastors. How many say praise the Lord to that? We've sent Dora... Uh, nearly $1,000 to help her. She's had to pay for oxygen and, and all the treatments of her three dead brothers, her mom, her dad. She now is left to be the sole responsibility for her sister-in-laws and her nieces and nephews, and she needs our prayer. She is devastated emotionally, but God is going to get the glory. And we are believing that the Lord is going to liberate the cities in Spain. We're in a church plant right now. Monterey and I in the last five years have planted probably seven or eight churches, built their buildings, see wonderful things happening. Now we're working with a young couple that was in our youth group when I was a youth pastor in Santiago, Chile. You supported me when I was in Santiago, Chile. And we started a youth group because we had two girls and they had no youth group. We started a youth group and a couple of kids got saved and the horns who were related to this church, and many of you remember the horns. How many remember the horns? They came to Chile and visited us, and we took Gonzalo when he was in high school down to the Mapuche Indian Territory, one of the most hidden people groups of the world. Went into the mountains of Chile, went up there with Gonzalo, and he dressed up as a clown and had such a talent and gifting 
The horns paid for him to go through Bible school. He graduated from Argentina's Instituto Bíblico Rio de la Plata. His wife, Kathy, got saved in our youth group. They got filled with the Holy Spirit. Today, all these years later, they are planting a church in Burgos, Spain, a city of 250,000 with two evangelical churches. And we are believing that God's going to help us raise up a church. Anything you give today, we're going to give 100% of that to raising up a church in Spain where less than point one, I can't even get the statistic of people that are Christians, but we are believing God's going to send a wave, and they've already got 50 people during this COVID crisis. In two weeks, the churches are going to open. They're going to be allowed to go back into their building. I just shipped off $4,000 in the last month to them that I didn't have. Oh, praise the Lord, I'm here today. And so I'm just believing it. I'm telling you, I've got good news. Your church has poured thousands of dollars into our ministry over the last 25 years. We have taken your money and put it in camps and conventions. We've seen hundreds of people saved. We've seen thousands of people filled with the Holy Spirit. I've poured it into buying properties, to building churches, to seeing families transform. That's the good news. How many say praise the Lord? Now the bad news, that dough is gone. Hallelujah. And I'm back. I'd like you all to stand. And it's so fun to be with you today. We knew Pastor Dale's mom and dad. They were colleagues and friends of ours when we were in college at North Central University. I was about three years old at the time. Your parents were a lot older. And uh, they were the quintessential Jesus people couple. They really were. They were the funnest people his dad, Jim, has got one of the, he's just got an excellent spirit. Jenny, this beautiful black-haired, long-haired, just this beautiful girl. And we all admired them. And he comes from great stock. How many say amen to that? He comes from great stock. And we're so proud of you, Dale and Jenny, being here. We know God's going to do a lot more. I want to see this place. The next time I come, we're going to forget all about this COVID jazz, and we're going to see this place so jammed you have to have three services. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> oh, praise you, Jesus. I think I was supposed to preach today, and I forgot what I was doing here, so forgive me. Here we go. I want to read to you from um, Matthew chapter 9. Verse 35, you don't have to get it, I'll read it to you. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Did you hear that? He healed every disease and sickness. Do you still believe in divine healing? It says it here. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. He didn't ask you to pray for healing. He didn't ask you to pray for prosperity. He said, ask the Lord of the heart of sir to send out workers into his harvest field. Would you raise your hands right now and let's pray. Jesus, I pray, Lord, that we be inspired to send out workers into the harvest field and that something wonderful would take place as we give our offerings today and as we focus our energies and thoughts on the harvest that is here and I thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Turn to somebody nearby you and say, I give you permission right now to invite me to dinner right after service. Hallelujah. <laughs> you may be seated. Jesus went to the towns and the villages, the little places. I've seen them 
in Kudanilawe up in the mountainous areas that used to be a coal mining area. I had a campaign up there one time. 400 people attended in an old soccer stadium. Only about 400 came. And of all those people, only two had employment. They were depressed and down. But as I preached in that five-day campaign, we saw transformations as healings took place and sunshine broke into their hearts. The most wonderful thing happens when you preach the gospel. It transforms people's lives. And that's why we are together as a group. That's why we have churches. Churches working together to send out workers. I got invited to be the the speaker for the National Evangelism Conference in one of the weirdest places I've ever been to. It was only mud streets. It rained constantly. There were beautiful blue and green and red parrots up in the trees, each one of them worth about $2,500 a tree. I've wondered, how do these people afford this? <laughs> Just kidding. And I was invited to go up there to speak for the National Evangelism Conference in this place called Bugaba, Chidiki, Panama, big tourist area. And uh, I was thinking about that today as we we're having pastor appreciation. Because we had a Holy Ghost hoedown. We had 600 representatives that came from all over Panama. Plus the church had several hundred. And as I preached the first night, it was so stifling hot, I thought I was going to choke and I felt sorry for them because I realized that every other block was missing in the walls of the building. They only had enough money to buy certain blocks. There were big gaps. Every other block was missing until I started preaching and realized that was air conditioning. So the air could move through. And many people filled with the Holy Spirit. And many people called into the ministry in that evangelism conference. And on the last morning, my old friend was up there, Alfredo Villarreal. We've known him for over 30 years. He was sitting right over here. He leaned over to Monterey and I and he said, Mike, why don't you go up and say goodbye to the delegates because you won't get a chance to see them. As soon as service is over, they're tearing out of here, getting on their buses and going home. I walked up to the pulpit. I said, hermanos, quiero agradecerles por el gran privilegio predicar en esta gran iglesia para esta gran conferencia. Dios la bendiga. Oh, friends, I want to thank you for coming here for this great conference and the privilege of speaking in this church God bless you. And then I said this. Cuanto aman su pastor. How many love your pastor? I want to ask you that today. How many love your pastors today? Huh? Yeah. And that's when I got into trouble because Monterey was my Spanish teacher at North Central. And I was too lazy to study. I just figured I'd marry the Spanish teacher and get a good grade. Well, I, <laughs> Monterey said, I said, si aman a su pastor, entonces tengo una torta en casa de vez en cuando. If you love your pastor, why don't you come by and leave him a cake at his house once in a while? The people exploded in laughter. They roared. They clapped. I looked at Monterey, I said, what, 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 what did I say long? She said, oh, they don't use that word in Panama. I didn't know that. See, words change meanings country to country. Most of my Spanish I learned in Chile. Learned in Monterey and learned it in Chile. I lived in Chile 10 years. And in Chile, the word torta means cake. De vez en cuando, déjale una torta en casa. Once in a while, leave him a cake at home. But in Panama, that means cow pie. 
I'm going to love your pastor now. <laughs> you know what to do. Hallelujah. We go to little places often. We go to hidden places. We go to places people never heard of, like Guanabacoa, Cuba. There's a big church of 1,400 there. You've never heard of Guanabacoa, Cuba, have you? How many ever heard of Guanabacoa? It is dirty. It's hidden. It's under communist domination. The communists have tried to shut that thing down repeatedly. They have persecuted him. They call the pastor in for meetings. They've taken his cell phone away from him. They've punished him repeatedly. They've spied on him. They've sent spies in the congregation. They often tell me when I get up to speak, Mike, do not make any observations about anything you saw on the street, about the price of anything. Don't talk about anything that you've seen or anyone you've talked to because we've got five spies here this morning. You see, that is what socialism will do for a country. It'll make people spy on you and tell on you and tattle on you. How many want that? That's what they have in Cuba. Last time I was there, they pulled me out of the line, and they took me in and did me a long, very difficult interview for 30 minutes trying to trick me into saying the wrong thing. I know what it is to be at the airport and be trembling and have to act like everything's cool. And inside, you are trembling because you're afraid you're going to go to jail. There have been so many times. I was out on a beach one time in Cuba preaching to hundreds of people because they won't allow us to meet as a believers in an adequate church. So we went out to a beach and we disobeyed the government and we set up a 200-foot-long drop cords that we just kept plugging and plugging and plugging. And I spoke to a couple of hundred people on the beach and the government sent out helicopters and they sent out three ships that went back and forth to check on us and then they called the pastor and said, what was Mike Shields? They knew who I am, but you know what? They don't know who Jesus is. Oh, I, I know all about that. Guanabacoa. Well, it just so happens at least 10 years ago, I raised $10,000 out of Minnesota and I bought an old Greyhound type bus. And they worked on that and worked on it. And it took us over a year just to get rings out of Europe, to get rings, Pastor Dale, to change the rings in the engine because the engine was beat up. And I bought tools. And I paid for redoing the upholstery. And I paid for redoing the roof of the interior. And, and over time, the bus went from one church and then to another church. And finally, I got a call from the national superintendent, Moises de Prada of Cuba. And he said, Mike, we, we, we want to buy the bus, but we don't have $12,000. That's what you've got in the bus. If I get this bus, do I have to pay you the $12,000 back? I said, Moises, you keep it. God bless you. You can have it. They really owed me that. But how many think that's a good investment when your entire congregation doesn't have one car. There's, not, there's hundreds of bicycles, not one car. And they needed that bus. Well, last March I was there and I was teaching a group of 50 pastors from across Cuba under great stress. They were there for a month. No, they were there for two weeks, right? Yeah, we do it two weeks in Cuba because you can't get enough food for a month. Food is in shuts, short supply in Cuba. You cannot do an event for a month like we normally do in our postgraduate seminars. So they came for two weeks. And I asked Moises if I could borrow the bus. Sure. 
He sent the bus down. I got our 50 pastors on. Many of them had never taken a tour of the city of Havana because they were way off to the east from Santiago. And so I organized a tour, a gringo, of Havana because I know Havana. I took them all these famous places. While I'm sitting in the front seat, a lady looked at me, sitting right here in the front seat, in the second seat, driver. I said, what's your name? She said, my name's Marty Soul. Nice to meet you. She said, you don't know me, but I know you. Really? How do you know me? She said, because about seven years ago, you came to our church in Guanabacoa. And you preached. And that was the first time we had ever been to an evangelical church. I went forward. My husband went forward. My son and my daughter. We all got saved on that day. She said, these years later, that's my husband driving the bus. He's the head of the transportation ministry. He's got many men that work with him on this bus and drive the bus and, and maintain it. I've just been appointed to be the head of the women's department. My son and my daughter work in the youth department. Our lives are transformed the day that we came forward and gave our lives to Jesus, and you were the one preaching that day. Can you give God a great big hand? In January then, we go to Cuba, and the guy driving the bus said, I know you, you don't know me. Why? Because my whole family got saved when you preached at Guanabacoa. Another one. And on and on, the story goes, God is looking for workers. How many say amen to that? How hard is it to go tell people the story that will transform their lives? You don't have to be some kind of genius. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be some kind of technical whiz. All you have to do is tell the story. And when people respond, it transforms them from the inside out. Come on, raise your hands right now. Jesus, send workers out of this church and to all of Minneapolis and St. Paul and Minnesota and the United States and internationally. Send somebody today in Jesus' name. Okay, I got to keep going. One of the first things we did when we became missionaries, Minnesota sent us out. I came to this church. I tenerated. You started supporting me. One of the first things we did, the first month we were in Santiago, Chile, we were invited to participate in a healthcare ministries doctor's uh, outreach. So we went to the poorest, the poorest areas in Santiago, Chile called El Bosque, put up a tent. Me and my buddy put up a tent. And then all these doctors came down and they came down with just tons of medicines and stuff. We set up a mobile clinic. My wife was an interpreter for uh, internist. My daughter worked with a surgeon. My other daughter worked with an optometrist. They didn't know what to do with me because I didn't look like I was all that good at any of that. And my Spanish was kind of eh, eh, at that time. So they made me water boy. <laughs> and there would be people standing five, six wide, snaked all through that property, all the way to the street, a couple hundred people in December when the sun was hotter than ever to get 90, 95 out in the sun because December's hot time in South America. And my job was to make sure nobody passed out for lack of water. So I'd walk around cups of water and serve people water. Well, I got bored of that after about three, four days. And I borrowed a stethoscope and put it around me because I thought it looked cool. Water boy with a stethoscope. So I'm walking around one day. And this, I, walk, I saw this old lady all crooked, 
over. And I, here I'm in this place. Jesus went to the towns and the villages. I'm in Elboski. Nobody's ever heard of that in the United States ever. I am in a dirty, dusty, there wasn't a, there were some old dirty trees and some bushes and stuff that had dust all over them. You get the idea? And papers and garbage laying everywhere. Oh, Lord, what a horrible place it is. And hundreds of people waiting to get into that tent to see doctors. I saw that lady. I walked back there. And as I walked by with a gallon of water in my hand and some cups, she stopped me. She saw the stethoscope. She said, oh, doctor, doctor, necesito lente. Por favor, ayúdame a entrar en la carpa. Oh, doctor, doctor. She called me doctor. That's what I wanted. <laughs> doctor, doctor, she says, I need glasses so bad. Help me get in the tent. And my heart, I looked at it. It was like 4.30. We were closing at 5. I read, she doesn't have hope to get glasses. No way. She'd have to come two more days. She's like, Vine tarde porque hace mucho color durante el día. I came late because it was so hot during the day. My heart went out to her. So I took her by the hand and I walked the other direction away from people and I walked all the way around <laughs> and all the way around to the back of the tent. When people weren't looking, there was a flap back there. I popped open that flap and I snuck her into the tent. And my daughter was with the optometrist, and I walked up and I said, this lady's the next one. She really? Okay. She sat down. And the optometrist started talking to her. My daughter was interpreting. Elizabeth spoke good Spanish. And she said, Elizabeth, she and Tori are pastors out in Woodbury now. And uh, he said, I think I know just what this lady needs. And he opened these big notebooks that had flaps big plastic flaps with all these glasses in them according to their prescriptions. And he kept flipping through and flipping through and looking and he was putting these things in her eyes to get all fixed. But I think I know which pair. He gets out a pair, nice looking ladies pair of glasses and sticks them on her eyes. The next moments were magic. She stood up. She looked around. She said, Puedo ver. I can see. She kind of stumbled over to that flap at the back of the church. She opened it. She looked out. And she said, oh, I can see the mountains. I can see the tree. There was a little tree, dusty old tree out there. I can see it. And now by that time, several had come over. Standard, the optometrist was there. My daughter was there. Bunch of there. And then she put her hands on my face and she said, and you are so beautiful. <laughs> The optometrist said, what'd she say, what'd she say? I said, she says I'm beautiful. He said, bring her back in. There's something wrong, you know. <laughs> that little lady went home, the happiest lady in Santiago, Chile. She came back night, gave her heart to the Lord. She was 75 years old at that time. Little pair of glasses helped her see Jesus. Are we out to help people see Jesus? And I stood under that dirty old tree and I wept because I realized I had come to the towns and the villages with a message that transforms people with a little pair of glasses for a lady. And she said, now I won't get lost in the buses because I can't see the numbers on the buses and I get on the wrong bus. And now I'll get on the right bus. She was the happiest lady because people like you have made it possible for people like us to go on your behalf. Come on, give God a hand. Oh, man, what time's this over? I'm just kidding. Are we over now? How many give me 10 more minutes? Raise your hand.
10, 20, 30. Thank you so much. That helps a lot. <laughs> Can I tell you another one? In 1 Corinthians 4.12, the Apostle Paul observed, we work hard with our own hands. The Apostle Paul, by trade, was a tent maker. And he often mentioned to his churches and his writings, we did not load you, we did not cargar, I'm thinking in Spanish, we did, not, we did not burden you with our presence. We with our own hands worked. We work. And this is work. I have a dear friend in Cochabamba, Bolivia. We traveled all these countries. I've known these people for years. His name is David Vargas. He's a little Quechua Indian guy. He speaks Quechua. He's about five, maybe a little less than five feet, but a powerhouse preacher. And I went there for a nine-day campaign every night for nine days. And during the day, what would we do? David and I get on his motorbike, and we'd go out and visit people. So one day, we're out visiting. It had to be the funniest-looking thing, this big old gringo, wide load. Should have had a thing at the back if it said wide load. And this little Quechua Indian guy on his motorbike, and we're driving around visiting people. And we stopped because it was, we were tired. We'd been going. We'd been visiting, visiting, praying for people. And we stopped in a little park and looked off in the distance, and there was the massive roof of his church, Sanidad Divina. Divine Healing Church. I said, David, tell me the story again. I want to hear it again. Oh, he said, it was quite a story. He said, I had 22 people in a rented theater in downtown Cochabamba. The theater had been closed for years, and then we opened it. It was smelly and musty, and that's what I had for a congregation, 22 people. One spoke to me and told me that I should announce we're going to hold an evangelistic campaign. We need a place. And we only had two requirements. Adequate space, and it had to be free. <laughs> free is a beautiful word, isn't it? Especially in Latin America. Free is a beautiful word. So he asked all the people to begin looking for a place. He said on Wednesday, one of his deacons called him and said, Pastor, I found the perfect spot. The spot where they're at today. He said, but you got to keep an open mind. He said, what do you mean? They went down there, and it was at the garbage dump. It was at the dump. And I don't know, maybe I've told this story before here, but i got to tell it because there's a connection right now. You see, he said, we went in there and realized it was free. We could use the dump free. So he announced the next Sunday everybody should come with rakes and shovels and they're going to clean back a spot in the dump. And he said 22 people showed up and we pushed back tons of garbage until we had a spot with an with a aisle that would go up to the street where we could hold our campaign. They put up a string of lights built a little platform, and they began their evangelistic campaign in the Cochabamba garbage dump. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> he said it stunk so bad when the wind would blow one way. And the first night, a group of people got saved. 
about 20 people got saved the first night. One of them was a guy that lived in the dump by the name of Carlos Belsu. Carlos was 27 years old. He was a drug addict, an alcoholic. He was known in town for running by restaurant tables that were sitting out on the sidewalks and stealing the food off the plate as he ran by. He was well known for having spent time in jail many times. And he lived in the dump so that he could break out the bags and find food to eat when the trucks would come in and dump the garbage. Carlos got saved the first night. How many say praise the Lord? <laughs> There's never a life that's too far gone. He said within a month, Carlos asked if he could help usher people as they came to the campaign. Within a month, they had over 100. Within two months, they had over 300. Within a couple more, they had 900. Can you imagine? And they kept pushing back. Oh, I got to tell you this. He said, at one point, we needed more space so bad there was nowhere to put the garbage. We held a protest march down to the mayor's office in Cochabamba. I said, what was that about? He said, we had big signs. We want trucks. I said, trucks? I said, How about we want Jesus? No, we want trucks. We went down to the mayor's office, and we sang, and we cheered, and when he came out, we clapped and asked him for trucks to help us remove the garbage. And he sent trucks, and within a week's time, they loaded all the garbage and moved it out of there, and the city gave them the entire property. And Carlos Belsu would lead people in down the dusty little aisles and in the wood benches. And he said, oh, for this thing, it breaks my heart. There was a stream that runs back. There was full of carcasses of dead animals and tires and plastics. And he said he'd see Carlos back there on his knees with his, with his heavy coat because it's cold up at the 9,000-foot level. We were in Cochabamba in January this year. It's cold there in the mornings. He'd, he'd get down on his knees and he'd dip down into that stream and he'd rub the water on his coat so it would clean him and he'd put the water in his hair and he'd, because he had nowhere to bathe. And then he said to him, Pastor, Pastor, would you mind if I slept in the tent? I'll take care of it because I have really nowhere to live and I, I used to steal for a living but now I can't and I, this is all I've got. And, and so he let him stay and he began to pay him to be the security guard and he'd sleep in the back pew with a blanket. Over time, Sanibad de Vida started to grow more and more and more, and they began to build a building. And Carlos Belsu went on to study Bible school. Then after his Bible school career, he came to us, postgraduate towards a master's degree. He became one of our flamante graduates. What do you call that in English? One of our flaming graduates. And he went on to lead as the senior associate of Sanidad Divina in Cochabamba, Bolivia, a church of 5,000 with 25 churches throughout the city. Give the Lord a great big hand. Sadly, in August of this year, I sent a check for $500 to Sandra, his widow, because Carlos got COVID in July, and he died in two weeks. But his legacy will live on for generations. How many say amen to that? If you want to know what I do with your dough, I give it to hurting people. I give it to people that don't have food. I give it to people that don't have medicines. I take money I don't have and I give it away. How many understand what I'm talking about? And I am determined to bless people like the widow of Carlos Belsu 
because they've made such a difference for the cause of Christ. Okay, I got to quit. I got to stop. I got a whole list of things I want to tell you. I've never preached a sermon before, but you get this one free. I'm going to say amen to that. So come on up here, Pastor. I'm done, but I just want to say this. You have a leader that loves missions. Aren't you glad for that? And we're going to promise you something right now. I'm going to give you the Mike Shields promise. Everybody hold your hand up real high. You ready? Here goes. I promise you that no matter how much dough you give today, I will spend it. God bless you. Now you've met Mike Shields. <laughs> yes. For those of you who have not before. Now, here, here's something I, I just want to say. Um, last year, my wife and I were having um, just kind of a meal, and their kids were playing in, the, in a pool, and so we were just talking with them. And I'm not going to tell you who it was, but this is just to give some confidence that maybe have never met uh, Mike and Mona before. Um, they, we just were talking. We're talking about things because they itinerate and do things in Minnesota. And they said, by the way, do you know Mike and Mona Shields? And, and uh, you know, my wife and I, Jaina, we were like, yeah, yeah, of course we know them. And our church supports them. And they got really quiet, and they just said this, whatever you do, don't stop supporting them. And I was like, oh, well, why don't you, why don't you tell me more? Because our missions committee and people we've been talking about, missions. And uh, they said, they help people like us. They give, they give and they give, and they help missionaries too. Do not stop supporting them. And that was incredible, because usually missionaries take the time to talk about giving to them. Instead, they were saying, don't stop giving to these people. And so my point is, is that this is good ground, okay? We've been supporting them for a long time, and we're gonna continue to. And so today, if you can give an offering, you can give it online, you can just, on the comments, put missionaries, you can put Mike Mona, you can just say the Spanish-speaking dude, whatever you want, and it's gonna get there, okay? So if you give online through this week, we're gonna wait before we write a check and we send it over to you guys. We have been so blessed. Thank you. And you know what? For us as a church, to hear these stories... And understand that, hey, when we give above and beyond our normally, normal tithes and givings to the church, that it's doing something, and we get to hear about it. Amen? Would you please stand? Now, um, on the way out, there is a bucket um, on the side. And so you can just drop, if, you, if you're somebody that has a check or cash or something like that, you can just put it in there or online, obviously. We're going to have one song of worship. You are dismissed if you need to go. Um, if you need prayer today, what we're doing is just over on the sides. If you need prayer, just go stand over there. And our prayer people will be there and ready just to pray and support and encourage you during this time. And as soon as the music's done, you can just leave. May the Lord bless you. I'm going to pray a blessing over you. And don't forget to stop at that table and grab some stuff, fill out a card so you get some emails and updates of what's going on in their lives. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. My heart is encouraged. Lord, I, what an amazing time of worship with the, the, the church. Lord, we just love you and lift up your name. And Lord, I pray that we get to send a tremendous offering in support of Mike and Mona Shields today. In your name we pray. And the church said, amen. 
You've been listening to a message from Life Assembly. Connect with us online at lifemn.org. And thanks for listening.